Just that's an explosion. In air. Blow oh up means God. explosion. You made you sound like she exploded her. Like he just murked his aunt in the middle <laughs> of the dining room. everyone welcome back to the silver claw review i'm madison and i'm Daya. and this week we are starting the third book in the harry potter series harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban yay book Woo! three probably one of my favorites so i'm very excited to to do this one. Oh, for sure but first we're going to start off with the spell and the character of the episode so do you want to go ahead first yes ma'am so our character of the episode is percy weasley he is first mentioned in Sorcerer's Stone. Percy Weasley is the son of Molly and Arthur Weasley. He is a Gryffindor prefect who, after leaving Hogwarts, worked for the Ministry of Magic. While he initially supports the Ministry following Voldemort's return, Percy eventually admits he was mistaken and fights alongside his family in the Battle of Hogwarts. That's all it says about him, and I'm honestly kind of surprised. I thought it would say a little bit more, but I guess not. Yeah. Uh, the spell of the episode is... Ridiculous, which is a charm. The use is to turn a bogger into something funny. In Latin, ridiculum means joke. And this spell is actually used in Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, they have a lesson on boggarts with Professor Lupin. And technically, the spell does not banish a bogger on its own. It is the caster's laughter that does that. And that is all about ridiculous. All right, let's go ahead and start. Chapter one, we are starting at Privet Drive, of course. Harry is sneaking his homework at night because they don't want him working on anything related to magic. Um, back to his terrible life with the Dursleys. Yeah, the usual previously on Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, previously on Harry Potter. A little, little bit of a dump to see what happened in the last book. Uh, Ron tries calling, but ends up screaming at Vernon through the phone, which is really funny. I mean, he tried, so that's kudos to him. I mean, a good effort for sure, but I'd be like, motherfucker, you had one job. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did notice that this time Harry learned how to pick a lock. I made that note too, and I am so glad you brought it up. <laughs> Since you bitched at him last time for not being able to pick a lock. Thank you, Fred and George, for teaching him. God damn. Mm -hmm. Honestly. So, he did pick a lock. Um, he finds out from, an, uh, I think it's a letter from... Ron, that the Weasleys are visiting Bill in Egypt because Arthur won the galleon draw, which is... Here's my thing, right? If your family's struggling financially, why would you win all this money and immediately go on a trip to Egypt? See, this is what I'm saying. I had the same note. I was like, the Weasleys are very consistently stated that they are poor. Mm -hmm. So if you win all of this money, like, this is not to say that, you know, poor people can't, you know, splurge on themselves every once in a while. Like, they should be able to go visit their son in Egypt. But for the whole month, go for, like, a week. Go for a weekend. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like if it, Ron is consistently complaining about broken wand, um, you know, not having good books, good robes, etc. You're constantly complaining about, oh, I don't know how we're gonna afford all this. Really? Like, the whole month? Like, you should be allowed to go, but guys, let's be a little more responsible here yeah. with this. Maybe don't take all the children. That's a lot of children to pay for. I mean, for. that too. I understand the family trip part, but oh my god, yeah. yeah. Um, and with this, Ron also sent Terry a sneak-a-scope that lights up when someone untrustworthy is around, which Ron notes that it was going off at dinner, but he blames it on the twins um, putting beetles um, in the soup, 
which I think we'll see, we see a recurring theme of this going off and then being like, oh my god, that's crazy, it's defective. Yeah, there definitely does become a pattern with that. Nobody reads into it. And something that I thought was, like, f- just funny to me is that all three owls arrive at, like, the same time, mm-hmm. right? And Hedwig and the Hogwarts one are, like, carrying Errol. Mm-hmm. How did they all meet up? Because the Hogwarts one is coming from Scotland, up here. Then Errol's coming from Egypt, and Hedwig is coming from France. So they just all met up at some point and then showed up at the exact same time. Like, that's just kind of funny to me. And also, owls be flying from Surrey. You're telling me Hedwig flew all the way to France and back? Like, was she flying for, like, three weeks? Like, how long does that actually take? Like, that's insane to me that they can just do that. I don't know. I know that in this part, though, Harry does point out that she's not there a lot because the Dursleys don't like her. So she'd be gone most of the time. So she had been gone before she came with this letter. Yeah, which tracks, but still, that's such... Like, I feel like there's there's got to be, like, some sort of flu network for owls. Like, there's no way Hedwig flew all yeah, the she way. she probably just takes breaks. Yeah, but even then, that takes forever. She's lucky she even got there on time for Harry's birthday with the gift. The time management. Good job, Hedwig. Yeah. Um, also, these birthday cards are the first ever birthday cards. I know, it's so sad. That he gets. He points that out, and it's so depressing. Um, Hermione also sends him a broom servicing kit, which is honestly the best gift ever yeah, for him. Yeah, no, that was that was really good. That was right in the head. Part. And Harry gets the permission slip for the Hogsmeade visit, so he's got to figure out how to get that signed by the guardians who don't like him. Exactly. So. I think it's funny that they need a permission slip to go to Hogsmeade, like the perfectly safe village within walking distance. Uh-huh. But next book, they don't need a permission slip to sign up for the Triwizard Tournament. They don't need a permission slip to stay at Hogwarts while there's a basilisk running around. Like, this is just the weirdest thing that they need permission Listen, for. Listen, you never know. <laughs> They've got butterbeer and stuff down there. Oh, the yeah, kids go of wild. Course. Is that the end of chapter one? Yep. Oh, damn, that's a lot shorter than I thought. Well, we move on to chapter two, where she immediately starts describing the Dursleys as Dudley's fat, Vernon has little neck, and Petunia's horse face. Will she ever not describe them like this? If anything, the she is consistent with that. <laughs> That's true. She just makes such a point about it. It's so funny. Um, and Sirius Black is being spoken about on the Muggle TV, which is, I mean, at this point, we don't know that he's a wizard, but like us knowing, like, you know, it's kind of weird that they do that. And he's described as having elbow length hair, which is like so much longer than the movie portrays it. And so I kind of forgot about that. So I'm like, damn, that's like long and gross. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably very matted, but like that was just, I don't know, a weird point. Um, and Vernon also just straight up says that like, oh, they should go back to hanging people, which is so medieval. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. That tracks, that tracks for him. That is really on brand. It really is. But that just kind of shocked me. I was like, all right. Um, and he mentions that Aunt Marge is coming to visit, and Harry's like, damn, that sucks, because she's the worst. Um, she's Vernon's sister, and she's, like, obsessed with dogs. That's, like, her thing. And to explain why Harry's, like, away and stuff, they're making Harry pretend that he goes to, like, a school for, like, criminals. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, you better keep up this lie. And Harry uses this as, like, his way to manipulate Vernon into agreeing to signing the Hogsmeade permission slip, which is a really big brain move. Good for him! Good for him. I was proud of him for that one. I was proud of him too. I was like, good job, Harry. But of course, Vernon was like, if you do good, I'll sign it at the end. So Harry's still gotta, you know, keep going. I personally would have just forged the signature, but whatever. Um, 
And Harry's also just so sassy in this entire interaction. Like, he turns around and he's like, I'm not taking you. And he's like, like, I wanted to come, please. I just, mm-hmm. I had to mention that. That was so funny. Um, he goes to pick up Aunt Marge. They arrive. And then she immediately starts shitting on Harry. Like, she just absolutely hates him. But she loves Dudley, etc. And Harry survives these days with her just, like, by focusing on, like, his broom repair kit and stuff. And he's like, just think about that. Don't think about this. I like how he goes, like, through specific chapters, too. He's like, okay, so what are the, what's the page on this specific thing? And he just pretty much memorizes the page and reads it in his head. Right, which I was like, okay, so you have really good memory when it comes to this, but God forbid you remember the three ingredients you need for your potion. Like, come on, Harry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But a couple days later, she gets, like, drunk as fuck on Brandy, and she starts shit-talking James and Lily specifically. Mm -hmm. And she insults them specifically based on the fact that they were unemployed, which I find funny because, like, that's just a fact. They were. (laughs) Like, they didn't need to work, and they were in the war, and obviously she doesn't know this, but, like, like, yeah, they were, like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Harry loses his shit at this, and he blows up Aunt March. Um, and the Dursleys start losing it as well, and Harry takes this opportunity to, like, grab all his shit and pack and runs. Like, he is so ready to just book it out of there. He, like, flips his wand on Vernon. He's like, I'm leaving. She deserved it. Like, crazy. And he dips Yeah. at the end of chapter two. Also, I think it's important to know that what she says that pushes him over the edge was that he's she says if there's something wrong with the bitch there'll be something wrong with the pup and i get that that's technically the correct scientific term for a female dog but how did that make that into this children's book yeah right i agree also i don't know if you noticed this on on page 27 when she's talking about her like her weird man friend who like runs the farm with her the dog farm she talks fondly about a story where she had him drown a runt puppy because it was weak I, I did, I do remember reading that. Drowned it. Yeah. JKR, listen, I understand that you gotta, like, villainize them, but that is so, so, so too much. I know. That's too much. There's a lot of things in this book that sometimes I read into, and I'm like, damn, I read that when I was eight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's intense. Did you mention her blowing up into a balloon? Yes, I said he gets pissed off and he blows her up. Oh. And then the Dursleys lose their shit, Harry grabs his shit, and he bolts. Oh, he said blow her up? She blew up into a balloon. She didn't blow up. I mean, technically, she, you just, she blew up into a balloon. She didn't blow up. She blew, she blew up. No, because I didn't blow specify up. a balloon, but she just, he blows her up. Just That's an explosion. In air. Blow oh up means God. explosion. You may sound like she, he exploded her, like he just murked his aunt in the middle <laughs> of the dining room. Okay, my apologies. Poor word choice. God. <laughs> Breaking news. Harry Potter murdered his aunt in the kitchen. <laughs> Blew her up. Like a goddamn bomb. <laughs> Okay, you blew her up like a balloon. Moving on, chapter three. <laughs> chapter three begins, and Harry's on the run because he allegedly blew up his aunt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can we drop this? It's been five seconds. We're over it. Okay, well he he's on the run anyway, so he takes a break, um, and like just kind of sits on the curb or whatever. He's just hanging out. He senses that someone or something is watching him, and obviously like that freaks him out, and he falls on the curb. But in doing so, he had, like, stuck out his wand hand and therefore summoned the night bus, which is for stranded witches and wizards. He tells them that his name is Neville, obviously, because he doesn't want the added attention of being like, oh, I'm Harry Potter. For real. Um, and during this time, he sees that Stan, who, what would you call him? He's not driving, but what? I just put the conductor and then in parentheses, question mark. <laughs> his friend? I Yeah, so Stan has the Daily Prophet, 
and Harry finds out that Black is a murderer who killed 13 people with one curse, and so now he knows that Black is a wizard. Uh, the bus takes him, well, on a whole journey, first of all, before ending up at the Leaky Cauldron where Cornelius Fudge, which is the Minister for Magic, is waiting for him, which is odd because it's the Minister of Magic, it's the middle of the night, chilling there at the Leaky Cauldron. He's like, oh, there there you are, Harry, and he's like, what? Yeah, because Harry at this point, I just think it's funny, he's like fully convinced he's going to jail. Like, oh. he's like, oh, gotta start my life as a fugitive. Like He's, he's like, just- I'm gonna go take out some money, and then we're just gonna go on the run. And Fudge is like, oh, there you are, my boy. <laughs> he's like, ah, shit, they got me. Yeah, so Fudge um, says that everything with Aunt Marge was taken care of, and he won't be punished for it, and Harry's saying, like, what the fuck, y'all threatened me for magic last year that I didn't even commit, it was just in my house, and he's like, oh, (laughs) forget about it, you know? Yeah, he's being very suspicious Mm -hmm. currently at the moment, but, like, Harry continuously be like, but what about this, but what about this, but what about this, and Cornelius is like, Harry, it's fine, leave it alone. (laughs) Just drop it, at that point, just drop it, Harry. (laughs) Take the dub and go. (laughs) Exactly. But he obviously finds it suspicious that Fudge is handling everything personally, and that he's so worried about Harry, like, why all of a sudden? Yeah. And he gets a room at the Leaky Cauldron, and the chapter just ends with him falling asleep. Yeah, he also asks Fudge to sign his permission slip for Hogsmeade, because he's like, oh, you're the minister. But he's like, no, 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 rules are rules. So rest in peace, Harry. It is looking like he's not, not gonna go to going Hogsmeade to go, this. yeah. Yep. And then chapter four starts Harry spending a lot of time in Diagon Alley at the Leaky Cauldron, and then something that I just had to note down is that they mentioned that he overheard wizards arguing over transfiguration today. Mm-hmm. And this is funny to me because how much is like actually going on in the transfiguration world that they need their own specific magazine? <laughs> That's a really good point. Like, is there that much going on right now? They're like, like you, guys, you'll never guess what I turned this rat into. <laughs> I know, like, that's just such a specific thing to me, but... Um, you know, he's going to the ice cream shop and Florian Fortescue's giving him ice cream every 30 minutes, which is so clutch. And while he's in Diagon Alley, he gets very tempted to buy a bunch of stuff because obviously he's a child, he has all this money, and he has no adult supervision, so... <laughs> he's also never been allowed to own anything ever in his life, so he's probably like, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, the one thing that he, that really catches his eye is the new Firebolt Broom, which is the coolest name ever. Mm-hmm. I think she, she'd knock this one out of the ballpark. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and, you know, he goes to look at it basically every day, and even on the sign it says price on request, which is how you know it's bougie. Like, ooh, you gotta ask for the price, and I'm just gonna put that number out there. Yeah. But eventually he goes to, like, actually buy, like, his school stuff, his robes, books, and shit, um, and then we find out that the book that Haggard gave him is actually his textbook for his upcoming class, so it actually was necessary. Haggard didn't just send him a random monster book for no reason. And while he's in Flourish and Blots, he sees, like, a death omen book with the picture of the dog that he saw, which is very ominous. Harry's like, mm, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple days later, he runs into Ron and Hermione. They catch up a little bit. Hermione has, like, a shit ton of books, and they discuss, like, how many classes she's taking, and she's like, don't worry about it, blah, 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 which is a nice little hint. Mm-hmm. Um, to the subplot. To the subplot, yeah. And Hermione is like, okay, well, my parents gave me birthday money, I have some extra, I want to buy an owl. So they go to the pet shop, but she ends up actually buying Crookshanks, um, which is a cat instead. A real after... cool cat. Yeah, really cool cat. He attacks Scabbers, um, because something, Ron's like, oh, there's something up with him, he needs rat tonic, whatever. So we start getting hints at that subplot as well, a little mm-hmm. more. And also, there's a headcanon that goes around that Crookshanks was 
James and Lily's cat because in a letter that Harry finds from Lily, she mentions, like, oh, the cat keeps running around, so we know that they canonically had a cat. And then this bookshop is like, oh, he's been here for years and no one's adopted him. So there's, like, a headcanon that, like, Crickshank is the Potter's Cats. And I like that. I think it's really cute. The only problem with that is the age of the cat. Do we ever canonically know, like, oh, he's 47? Well, how long do cats normally live? Well, I don't know. It's only been 13 years. I feel like that's a normal time. If Since they, they died, the... though. But if they had the cat for more than a year... Well, I mean, they died at 21 and graduated at 17, so... But they got married at 20, so realistically, yeah, they would have only had the cat for a year. So if they got the cat as a kitten, he'd be, what, 14? I feel like that's a normal age for a cat. It's a cute headcanon. Why do you have to break it apart like this? I'm just, it is a cute headcanon. I'm just saying, unless it's like a magical cat. That... Well, we know he's magical. We find out later he's part measle. Maybe that makes him live longer then? Yes. Except the headcanon. <laughs> I like the headcanon. I'm just saying, realistically, what is the lifespan of this cat? <laughs> Ugh, you think too logically. Anyways. <laughs> Um, they go back to the Leaky and they meet up with the other Weasleys. Percy's being a headass, of course, and the twins are being funny about it. They, like, charm his head boy badge to say big head boy, which is funny. So they're leaving the next day and everyone's packing up, like, last minute things, and Ron is like, oh shit, I left my rat tonic downstairs, so Harry's like, I'll go get it. And when he goes downstairs, he overhears a conversation between Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, who are arguing over whether or not to tell Harry that Sirius Black is, like, after him specifically. Arthur wants to, but Molly's like, no, he's just a kid, don't burden him with that. Um, he overhears all this, gets the rat tonic, goes upstairs, and he's, like, thinking about this still. He's, like, worried a little bit, but he's like, no, I'll be fine. Like, Dumbledore's gonna be there. They say Azkaban guards are there, whatever. He's also still a little upset about Hogsmeade. And then I just had to make a note about the mirror that's in his room that talks to him, and he's like, I'm not going to be murdered. And the mirror goes, that's the spirit beer. I made the same note. I laughed out loud. It was <laughs> so funny and out of pocket. No, I made the same note. Yes, I love that mirror. But that's basically the end of chapter four. And moving on to chapter five, they are taking these ministry sent cars to, to King's Cross, which they're all just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, they're just doing us a solid. But like, Harry's like... Well, this is probably because of me, which is a little narcissistic, but he's right, it is because of him. <laughs> he is right. Um, right before the train leaves, Arthur pulls him aside, and he kind of, like, is hinting at he's going to tell Harry, and Harry's like, it's okay, like, I heard that we don't have to break your promise, but, like, you know that I know, and Arthur's like, I want you to promise me that you won't go looking for Black, and Harry at this point is like, why would I go looking for someone who wants to kill him, like, kill me? Like, yeah. We're asking the same question. Did you read... Were you living the last two books? <laughs> Harry, you're the main character. You're the main character. You went into the Chamber of Secrets. Willingly. Willingly. And then you followed, like, I, I don't know, the teacher with the... Well, you thought it was Snape at the time. But he went in to find the Sorcerer's Stone. Like, you kind of have a history here, dude. Yeah. And um, Harry tells Hermione and Ron what he's learned about Black. And obviously now they're super worried because they're like, oh my god, this murderer is going to go after our friend Harry. Rightfully so. And yeah. Harry's like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. He tells them once they get in on the train into a compartment, the only one they could find that has a sleeping person in it and they see his briefcase and they're like, oh, it's Professor R.J. Lupin, the love of my life. I just had to really make sure that was in there. Uh, yeah, there's an adult man sleeping in the compartment, and Hermione sees on the case that his name is Professor R.J. Lupin. She says that he's probably the new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor, because obviously that's the only post that's ever um, empty. 
And he must be really heavy sleeper because he sleeps through a lot. I'm fully convinced he's not asleep. I, he's just I'm pretending? Fully, yes, I'm fully convinced he's listening in this entire time. I don't funny? buy that he's asleep for a second. Yeah. Uh, Harry talked about how he can't go to Hogsmeade because the Dursleys wouldn't sign the permission slip. And Ron mentions the twins might be able to help him sneak out through secret passageways, which is kind of like a nice little hint at how he actually will get to go. Yeah. Uh, Draco comes down to pick a fight, obviously, because he's of Draco. Uh, but gets spooked by Lupin being a teacher sleeping in there. Like which, a coward. Yeah. He's like, oh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, the train suddenly stops and all the lights go out. So, at this point, I would be crying. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Me too. I'm really freaked out. Neville and Ginny somehow find their way and stumble into their compartment. That's really funny because that's, like, word for word what I wrote. <laughs> that they stumble in there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they do. It's like, they fall over each other. Yeah. Uh, Lupin wakes up suddenly. Clear eyes. I'm telling you he was awake. And he's like, be quiet. <laughs> and they're all like, Okay. <laughs> It starts to get cold, it's really quiet, and then a Dementor, boom, right in, the do- right in the doorway. And Harry, he hears screaming in his head, he faints and everything, which is honestly so horrific because he's obviously reliving the murder of his mother. Yeah, he doesn't know this yet, but it's rough. And it's such an interesting, like, description. He says, an intense cold swept over them all. Harry felt his own ca- breath catch in his chest. The cold went deeper than his skin. It was inside his chest. It was inside his very heart. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. Genuinely terrifying. And honestly, I don't know if it makes it sadder or, like, worse knowing that Dementors are, a like, a metaphor for depression. Like, knowing that just makes all these scenes, like, wow. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I think that's one of her best analogies. Like, I think, yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated that. And after, obviously, he wakes up and he's like, oh my god, what happened? Because he had fainted. Yeah. And Lupin gives them all chocolate, which he says will help, and he leaves to go talk to the conductor. And so they kind of finish up the train ride. They are eating the chocolate. Um, they arrive at the school, and Draco teases him for fainting, because why not, right? We've already we've already <laughs> killed the, de- the dead parents joke, you know, so might as well move on to him fainting on the train. Which he sticks to this for a couple chapters. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like, it's not a perfectly reasonable reason to faint. I'm I like saying, like, imagining that. Uh, McGonagall is, like, super worried about Harry, but Harry's like, dude, I'm fine. I don't want him to go to the hospital wing. I'm okay. I had the chocolate. We're good. At the feast, Dumbledore announces that Lupin is the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor and that Hagrid is going to be the Care of Magical Creatures professor, which is so great for Hagrid. Yes, love that for him. Um, He also states that the Dementors will be patrolling and essentially tells everyone to just stay clear of them and that they can see through the invisibility cloaks yeah he like makes sure to put that in there he's like yeah they can see everything especially invisibility cloaks that's for you three fuckers sitting over there <laughs> not that anyone should have one but i'm looking at you very <laughs> yeah for real <laughs> which is also really interesting that they could do that yeah i guess because they don't technically have eyes they're going more based off of like souls yeah i guess that's true like if they can sense your soul in there mm-hmm. that makes yeah that tracks yeah. I also, I think, honestly, it's weirder that, I mean, we'll get there, but, like, Mad-Eye Moody can also see them, like, through his, like, wizard eye. Like, that's weirder to me. Like, yeah, with the Dementors, we can explain that as, like, mm-hmm. they can sense your soul, but, like... His magical eye. That's it's, just weird. made it fancy so that he can see through those things. I freaking guess so. Yeah. Uh, Harry knows, watching the teachers, that Snape looks at Lupin with absolute loathing, not just dislike, which is interesting. So, is there a history there? Oh my god, I why guess we'll he, find out. Why would he loathe him? <laughs> and the feast ends as they are heading to the common room. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. 
In chapter six, it's breakfast, and Malfoy and them are still giving Harry shit about the Dementor thing. Like I said, they they beat this horse even Faint after it's much, dead. Potter. <laughs> Um, and then they get their schedules, and Ron and Harry, um, make a point to show that they're concerned about Hermione's really weird schedule, and how she has, like, three classes at the same time, and she's like, don't worry, don't worry, I've sorted it with McGonagall. Um, so their first class is Divination, and they start heading up to the North Tower, but they've never been there, so they get lost, and they ask this really annoying knight portrait for help by, like, tricking him to think it's, like, a quest, and then they make it, they enter through, like, a door in the ceiling, and the classroom is, like, decorated all, like, kooky and like, kind of homey, even. Mm-hmm. And then Trelawney, who's the divination professor, pulls up, and she makes, like, a bunch of predictions, like, Neville, you're gonna break your cup, Lavender, something you're dreading's gonna happen on October 16th, like, she's just going ham with this. Um, and then they actually begin the lesson that it's about reading tea leaves, and so Harry and Ron do it, they trade, and they're, like, trying to figure out what the hell it means. And then when Harry reads Ron's cup, he's like, you're gonna suffer, but be happy about it, and a note I made about this is, like, I always thought it was, like, a haha funny, they don't know how to do divination, but do you think this could be about Scabbers? Like, how he's gonna lose Scabbers, who's been his beloved pet for a while, so he's gonna suffer, but it turns out he was an old Death Eater, so he's gonna be happy about it. Do you think that might be something, or am I just reading too deep into a children's book? <laughs> you could say, yeah. I feel like a lot of the predictions made in this class, in Trelawney's class in general. I'm kind of on Hermione's side here, where some of them just kind of ha- happen to be, you look for patterns to make sense of the world. And so when someone points me out to you, you look, it's like confirmation bias. Yeah. So I think that you're probably right. Like, it could be interpreted that way. Okay. I know you said you're on Hermione's side. I'm going to defend Trelawney here for a second, because it is canon that her great-grandma is Cassandra, who is a seer who was cursed by the gods to have no one ever believe her visions. So that means that that curse is passed on to Trelawney. So Trelawney is right. I'm not saying that Trelawney's wrong. I'm just saying that not all the predictions made in her class are necessarily, like, actual big predictions, but more, like, generalizations that are proven. Oh, okay, I guess. Yeah, like, she obviously... Obviously, she has a gift because she makes the she's the one who delivers the prophecy about Harry and all that. So, I mean, she obviously has the sight, but I don't think that all of her quote unquote predictions are actual predictions. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I misunderstood them. Um, but then it's Harry's turn, and Ron starts like spitting random shit about Harry's cup. So Trelawney interrupts, and she looks into it, and she's like, "Oh my God, that's the Grim Harry. You're gonna die." And Harry's like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Good thing I haven't seen, like, three of them by now. Great, great, mm-hmm. great. Um, everyone in the class, like, freaks out. Uh, but Hermione is like, this is bullshit. And Trelawney is like, hmm, well, you don't have the right aura, so fuck off. Leave me alone. So, yeah, Hermione is absolutely not a fan of divination. Uh, they, hand tr- they head to Transfiguration next, and Minerva's talking about anime guy, which is, again, little wink. <laughs> Um, and she, you know, shows that she is one, transforms into a cat, and then she transforms back and she's like, okay, what's up with y'all? Why did no one clap? (laughs) Which is like, yes, boss queen, I love that for you. Um, and they tell her about divination and McGonagall scoffs. She's like, okay, so who's dying? And Harry's like, it me. And she's like, yeah, she does this every, every year. No one's actually died. You're fine. Um... And then at lunch, uh, the trio is still arguing over Trelawney and the Grim shit. Hermione is like, no, this is dumb. And Ron and Harry are like, you just don't like it because you're not good at it. And she's like, I prefer to Rhythmancy. And then Ron's like, you haven't even been to Rhythmancy yet. So 
more hints about this B-plot. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of this in here. Um, afterwards, they go to Care of Magical Creatures, Hagrid's class, and he's like, okay, guys, open your books. And Malfoy immediately is like, how the hell are we supposed to do that? And Hagrid, who, you know, loves magical creatures, gets kind of upset that no one seems to have figured it out. And he's like, guys, you just rubbed the spine. That's not what he says. You have to stroke the spine. Oh, sorry, stroke. <laughs> My apologies. I feel like the word choice is very important because every time I have to read it, I'm like, eh. <laughs> Gross. That's why I tried to amend it to something a little better, but he stroked the spine. <laughs> Um, so they do that, and then they begin their first lesson, which is hippogriffs. He brings out, like, a bunch of them, and he asks if anyone wants to approach them. He warns them that they're very proud creatures, so you can't insult them. You have to bow, and then if they bow back, then you're fine. Um, Harry volunteers to go, and then Lavender's like, oh my god, Harry, what about the death omen? And then Harry's literally like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) And he goes. He does it, and everything's, like, going well, and Hagrid is like, oh my god, Harry, that was great. Do you want to write it now? And Harry's like, Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) like, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> but he does it anyways, and it's awesome. And then after that, the rest of the class is like, oh, okay, this is actually kind of sick. And they go. Malfoy ends up going to Buckbeak next, and he bows. Buckbeak bows. Everything's going great until Malfoy starts getting cocky, and he's like, you're not even that dangerous, stupid bitch, whatever. And then Buckbeak, of course, loses it, and he scratches him because that's he did the one thing you're not supposed to do. I can't defend him on this one. He's an no. idiot. He called him a great, ugly brute. It was just not called for. Yeah. Leave Buckbeak alone. No reason. Justice for Buckbeak. (laughs) Um, So Hagrid takes him to the infirmary. Malfoy's being a little bitch about it. Um, And then they go back to the castle, and they see that Hagrid's light is on. Like, this is, like, much later. And so they go visit him, and Hagrid is, like, drunk. Like, super drunk, because he's so upset that the first (laughs) class went, like, horribly. They support him, and they're like, no, Malfoy was just an idiot. We'll, We'll support you. Don't worry about it. Um, and then he sobers up and he freaks out. He's like, Harry, what the hell are you doing here? Blah, 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 get away. And the chapter ends. Yeah. And starting chapter seven, they go to potions. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Malfoy walks in pretty much with his arm, his arm in a sling, pretending like his arm is completely non-functional. Milking the shit out of this. He's bitching and moaning about how he can't do anything, so he gets Ron and Harry to, like, prepare his potion ingredients with him. For him, which is, like, a power move. I'll give him that. Dick move. But power move. Yeah, specifically, Harry has to help, uh, he's like, he's like, Potter, help Malfoy, like, with his shriveled fig or, like, something like that, which I thought was a very suggestive and funny line. Just had to mention that. Like, yeah, he's gonna help Malfoy with his shriveled fig. I don't think anyone took it that way. Well, I did. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Tweet at us if you found it that way, too. (laughs) Don't, please, for the love of God, no. Uh, Snape bullies Neville about his potion. Of course. Because it's wrong, obviously. And he's like, at the end of the class, I'm gonna make you feed it to Trevor. Which is so unnecessary. I mean, objectively, though, Neville does suck. <laughs> yeah, but why would- He knows that it would poison the toad. Yeah. He knows- He's going into this knowing it's going to poison the toad. That's true. To teach him a lesson. Yeah. Like, that's such- There's no reason for that. And Hermione's like, can I help him, Professor? And he's like, don't you dare help him. Obviously, Hermione helps Neville and ends up losing five points for it. And um, Seamus tells Ron and Harry that Black was spotted by a muggle not too far from the school, which I would be quaking. No, I would be so scared. I'd be like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, and Malfoy asks Harry if he's going to go after Black, because if it were him, he'd want revenge. And Harry's kind of like, okay, why would I, like, he wants to kill me, sure, but why why would he want revenge? Yeah, Malfoy's definitely edging him, like, I know more than you. Yeah, so he's like, what, what does he know? What does he know? And then Ron, of course, is like, oh, he's just... He's just baiting you. Like, he doesn't know anything. He just wants to get you worked up. 
So when the class ends, they're walking upstairs and suddenly Hermione goes from being like right behind them to back to the bottom of the stairs and they're kind of like, um, what the heck? And Hermione's just like, oh, I forgot something. Okay. And they just, they're just like, okay, yeah, that's weird. Why is she being so weird? She just teleported from the top of the stairs <laughs> to the real. bottom of the stairs and you didn't notice. Literally in a second. That's what you're, you're not going to, we're not going to question her more about that. We're just going to let it go. Yeah. They're, they're like, okay, we'll drop it. <laughs> okay, sure. And they're, now they're going to Defense Against the Dark Arts, which, well, obviously their favorite, te- like their best teacher that they had for this class, but one of my favorite lessons that they do. Yeah. Because I feel like Lupin really cares about the students. I don't know. It no, just really he makes absolutely my heart feel, does. He's feel the whole. love of my life. He really takes this job seriously and he does it in a way that, you know, makes sure that the students are actually, you know, picking it up and that they get to practice mm-hmm. and stuff with it, which is something like I never understood. Like, this is a magic school and they spend the majority of their time reading textbooks and writing papers. Pick up your wand and do something. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So they go in there. First of all, they always describe Lupin as looking super shabby with, like, tattered robes. And I get him looking tired or gaunt because, like, we know what he is. But why is the man dressed in rags? Why did he not get a new robe for this job? So, I'm gonna dig a little bit into my Marauder's extra things in my head. Um, Lupin... Listen, it's fine. This is a spoiler podcast. We know he's a werewolf, so because of that, he has a hard time finding jobs, which means he does not have a lot of money, and so that kind of plays into it, and then his father and his mom, his mom was a muggle, and his dad is dead, I think. I don't know if that's canon or if that's fanfic. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he's dead, and all he did was really work for the ministry, so it's Mm -hmm. not like he had, like, the biggest high-paying job, so he wouldn't have had a lot of inheritance from that either, so because of that, I mean, he's poor. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but, like, he's going into this. He's going to get paid. I assume that Dumbledore could have given him robes or something, or give, like, upfront payment. I don't really know how it works there. Dumbledore's a dick, so... (laughs) That, yeah, I guess that's valid. Uh, but... (laughs) Anyways, they're gonna they're going to the staff room for their lesson. Um, they and Lupin catches Peeves putting gum in a keyhole, and then he uses a spell called Wadi Wasi to shove it up Peeves's nose. Which, the fact that he's a poltergeist and he can still shove it up his nose is really interesting to me. Well, because poltergeists are not like ghosts; they can actually interact with the physical world. Ghosts can't. Yeah, so, so that like actually makes sense. Semi-solid, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also a very oddly specific spell. Yeah. Like, that's just a thing? Like, is that specifically to shove gum up people's noses, or is it... Just to move the gum in general? Yeah, like, it's just such a weirdly specific spell. <laughs> it's funny, though. Yeah. Where did Peeves get the gum? Yeah, where did Peeves get the gum? Is gum just normal in the Wizarding Realm? I guess so. I don't know. He stole it from someone. He, st- he stole it from the Muggleborn. For sure. For sure. And they go for their lesson on Boggarts. Which is a creature that stays in dark spaces and takes the form of what it thinks will frighten you most. You defeat a bogger with laughter, so you use the spell of the day, ridiculous, mm-hmm. to change it into something that you find funny. So Neville goes first, right? And his bogger turns into Snape. Obviously, but also really sad that it turns into a teacher. That is beyond fucked. Are you kidding me? If I had a student, if my kid went to Hogwarts and I was informed that his Bogart, his biggest fear, mm-hmm. even though there's a dark wizard possibly at large right now and Sirius Black is on the loose, but no, his biggest fear is his teacher. Oh, I would be causing a riot. I'd be like, get him fucking fired. 
That is beyond fucked, bro. Yeah, no, it's definitely messed up. It is so messed up. But, you know, Lupin's like, Neville, you got this. Just imagine him. Like, something funny, right? So Neville dresses Snape up in his grandmother's long dress with a vulture hat and a red handbag, which is iconic. Perfect. I love it. Very iconic. And then they kind of go through the rest of the class. Like, everyone's taking a turn. But right before it gets to Harry, Lupin steps in. And it turns into what the kids think is a crystal ball. And silvery white orb. For the love of fucking God, it's a moon. I need them to be so serious right now. Please, if it's a shiny circle just in front of them, why would they assume that he's scared of the moon? Nobody's going to assume that he is scared of the moon. I feel like the moon has a very distinct look. I know, like, every, they know what the moon... They take astronomy, for God's sake. The, I, the moon is very like distinct. It could look like a crystal ball, too. No. I need you to look outside right now and tell me if that looks like a crystal ball. <laughs> it says it looks like a silvery circle. That could be a crystal ball. Nope. It's ridiculous. They should know what that is. <laughs> oh, please. I know it's for the mystery and the C plot, but still. Professor Lupert's scared of the moon. He was a moon. Nobody's gonna think that. <laughs> I would. You only say that. You have hindsight. Because you know it's the moon. That's the only reason you say that. Are you kidding me? You're not that observant. <laughs> Listen, if no I was way. just told it was a silvery white orb, yeah, I probably wouldn't know what, I would assume it was a crystal ball from this definition, but if I saw the moon with my own eyes, I would know that's a moon. But they said it looks like a silvery white orb. No, it says that what Harry can describe as a silvery white orb. Okay. Just because Harry's an idiot and doesn't know what the moon looks like. Nobody else knew, well, Hermione knew, but nobody else knew. <laughs> They're so all idiots then. It looks like a silvery white orb. There's no, listen, we're, we're, gonna, we're not fighting this, this fight anymore. This is such a tangent. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, and that's what you're going off of. So anyways, Harry doesn't get a crack at the boggart, and then Neville finishes it off, and they're all laughing, right? And that's the end of the chapter. The boggart's done, and they're leaving. But obviously Harry's butthurt because he's like, oh my god, he didn't think that I could handle it. Yeah, Hermione's also upset she didn't get to go, and Ron like makes a joke like, oh, what was yours going to be? A homework that says 9 out of 10, which is actually really objectively hilarious because we do find out later that her actual boggart is McGonagall telling her she failed all her exams. So Ron wasn't even that far off, <laughs> which is, yeah, that's funny. Um, and then in chapter 8... Lupin and Defense Against the Dark Arts immediately a hit with all the students, except Malfoy, who keeps shitting on him for, like, his raggedy robes and stuff. Yeah, he's poor. Let's shit on him. I'm sorry, he has the worst com- he's the worst bully. <laughs> but Snape is, like, extra pissy in class because he found out about the bogger, so he's very upset about that. Harry hates divination even more because Trelawney keeps tearing up whenever she looks at him. And Hagrid's lessons have gotten lamer um, because he's worried about the mess with the first lesson, that he doesn't want to mess it up anymore. Uh, Quidditch season is also coming up, Harry's excited, and Oliver Wood is, like, freaking out because he's a senior, and or a seventh year, and it's his last chance to win because the past two years they've been, like, screwed over by one way or another. First year, Harry was in a coma. Second year, got canceled because of the basilisk. Um, so, yeah, so they're talking, like, strategy and things like that. He's very determined to win. Um, then they find out that the first Hogsmeade weekend is on Halloween, and Harry's all sad because he can't go, but Ron is like, OMG, you should ask McGonagall, because, like, why would Sirius Black go to Hogsmeade, you know? You should just ask her. And Harry's like, you know what? I'm gonna do that. Um, then we get more hints about Scabbers and Crookshanks. He attacks him, and Hermione and Ron get into a fight over it, and then they, like, stop speaking. Then we find out Lavender is sad because her pet rabbit died on the day that Trelawney said 
um, something like the thing she was dreading would happen. And Hermione's, of course, still being skeptical. Lav is, like, losing her shit and crying. Like, Hermione, I get that you think this is a dumb coincidence, but please, where's the empathy? Her rabbit just died. <laughs> we can talk about this later. <laughs> Hermione does make some good points about it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, technically... But she wasn't dreading it. That's what she said. The thing that she was supposed to be dreading was going to happen on that day. Yeah. She wasn't dreading the bunny dying. So I, I see her point. But yeah, it could have waited. It didn't need to be said in that moment. Yeah. Um, and then the next time that they have Transfiguration, Harry asks McGonagall um, about Hogsmeade, but she keeps a firm stand and she's like, nope, I'm sorry, rules are rules. And then on Halloween, everyone goes to Hogsmeade, but Harry stays behind and Lupin finds him in the hallway and he's like, Harry, come with me. They go into his office where he has a Grindelow, which is like a water demon, and they talk about that for a little bit, and then he talks about why he stopped Harry from facing the Boggart. He explains that he thought it would be Voldemort, and that would just be absolutely horrible for everyone, but Harry was like, well, you know, I thought about that, but then I realized it's, you know, Dementors, and Lupin's like, actually, that's really good, because that means that what you fear is fear itself, so it's actually a pretty good fear to have. Um, Snape comes in in the middle of this and brings a potion for Lupin, and Harry is worried that it's poison, because he knows that Snape is after this job. Um, but Remus is like, no, it's fine, I've just been feeling ill, and he's, you know, this is a very complex potion that he's making for me that helps me feel better. I like how he just accepts that. Yeah, he's like, alright, for sure. Snape comes in with this goblet of steaming potion. Yeah, it's steaming, too. It really sucks. They're like, he's like, I made it. For you. And he's like, it's really complex, blah, 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 blah. It's like, make sure you take one again tomorrow. <laughs> but it's just because he's not feeling well. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a lame excuse, but it works. Um, after this, they the other two come back and they go to the feast. And then after the feast, all the Gryffindors are trying to get back into their common room, but there's like a huge line. And Percy comes in and he's like, I'm head boy, move, let me see, let me see. And then he freaks out and he's like, oh my god, call Dumbledore, call Dumbledore. And we find out that the portrait of the fat lady has been slashed and the fat lady is gone. Um, Dumbledore comes in and he's like, oh my god, what happened? And Pease explains, well, before that, he calls Dumbledore your headship and professor head, which is just iconic. I had to mention that. I was like, those are the it's best. Funny. It's funny. <laughs> the best names. Um, but then he does reveal that Sirius Black, um, is the one who did that, which is, like, what a cliffhanger ending. Like, that was crazy. I was mm -hmm. like, ah, what's gonna happen next? Mm -hmm. As if I don't know. Yeah. Also, so much for Hogwarts being, like, the safest place on Earth, because in this, in the first year, a teacher literally had Voldemort on the back of his head. The second year, there was a monster petrifying students. And now, an escaped murderer has made it into the school. What is going wrong here, my guys? No, I'm saying Hogwarts Hogwarts is the safest place on Earth besides Gringotts. Okay, both of them fucking suck because Gringotts got broken into later on too. Like, mm -hmm. the security needs to be stepped up. Honestly. They're, they're just, they're lacking. I would have, I would have taken my child out of school already. I'm like, you're going to Bobatons. <laughs> I'm sick of this. Or Bobatons. What, which one is it? Bobatons. It's it Bobatons? Okay. Yeah, it is Bobatons, right? Yeah, it is. It's well, Bobatons. Okay. <laughs> it's Bobatons. All right, we're we'll, gonna go with. We'll, okay. <laughs> That's where we're sticking. We're sticking with our guns there. Sure. Nice. Chapter nine. Um, Dumbledore tells the students that the teachers are going to go search the castle. So he conjures a bunch of sleeping bags for the students to stay in the great hall. Which doesn't make any sense. 
You yeah, can't just, like, make things appear. No, no, no. The sleepover's fine. Oh. It's the fact that he just waves his wand and, like, sleeping bags appear. That's, like, one of Gam's five laws. Like, you can't just make things appear. So my thought was, like, maybe he accios them, but that means they would all come flying in. They wouldn't just appear on the floor. So this spell makes no sense to me, and it I shouldn't care about it that much, but I do. He conjures other things at different times, too. Like, he conjures up a chair for, for Trelawney at the dinner and stuff like that. I like that you call her Trelawney. Instead of Sybil? Well, it's Trelawney. (laughs) But I think it's cute the way you say it. (laughs) But even that, that's fucked up. You can't just conjure things out of thin air. That's one of Gamp's five laws. We'll talk about that later. But anyways. (laughs) Um, They don't find Black. And when Snape talks to Dumbledore about how he got into the castle, he suggests that he had inside help, saying that when you filled the position, which is obviously hinting at there being a history between Lupin and Black. Yeah, I needed to leave my baby boy alone. (laughs) But Harry glazes over that. Yeah, he doesn't even think about that. He's like, okay, he hears, he's hearing this. He should have put together that the only posts that were filled were Hagrid and Lupin. Hagrid's always been here. Lupin's new! Yeah. So obviously he's insinuating that Lupin helped. So maybe we should look into that. Yeah, for real. Harry, again, let's add this. Reasons why he's not a Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. So now everyone is on edge because Black has made it to the castle. Percy is following him around. Teachers are keeping an eye on Harry and he's like, stop it. Like, Please, for the alone. love of God. <laughs> McGonagall suggests that he doesn't go to practices in the evenings, and he's just not having that. He's like, um, this is Quidditch. <laughs> and McGonagall's like, you know what? Valid. We'll just have a teacher watch over you down the field. For real. He's like, this is my one personality trait. Please let me have this. Yes. And so they're training for this game against Slytherin, which they're kind of looking to get a strong start because they're trying to actually, you know, win, win this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a last minute change of plans as the weather's just getting worse and worse that Gryffindor is now going to be playing against Hufflepuff, not Slytherin. Which is bullshit because they're like, oh, it's because Malfoy's arm is hurt. Okay, but when first year, when Harry's in a goddamn coma for three days, they're like, no, 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 keep playing without your seeker. But Malfoy's arm fucking hurts and all of a sudden it's like, shut it down, switch the teams. Like, what? Yeah, exactly. Switch the game. Switch the game. (laughs) And this is our first introduction to Cedric Diggory, who is the captain and seeker for Hufflepuff, and the girls just fangirl over him, which I I think Robert Pattinson was a perfect casting, because I too would be giggling and kicking my feet. (laughs) Honestly, when he shows up, I'm like, who's that? That's probably the only time that I found him really attractive. Yeah. Just something about it. I agree. And Harry gets to Defense Against the Dark Arts late. After um, Wood corners him to talk about Quidditch strategy. He's so serious about it. Yep. And Snape is teaching that day. So really inconvenient for Harry. Rough. Because Lupin is not feeling well. Um, Snape decides to jump way ahead in the book to the section on werewolves, which is odd, no? Um, He asks how to distinguish between a werewolf and a wolf, but nobody knows except Hermione. And he just ignores her. Literally calls her an insufferable know-it-all. Yes. He's such a dick. (laughs) Yeah, she answers without being called on, so he calls her an insufferable know-it-all, which is super aggressive for a teacher and so inappropriate. But then, here's the thing. Ron stands up for her. I love that Ron stands up for Hermione because I think it really shows how much he cares for her and wants to protect her despite his fear for Snape. He stands up for her. Even though he's called her an insufferable know-it-all at least twice. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's her. It's his friend. He has a right to. Yeah. <laughs> and because of this, he gets detention. And he has to wash bedpans in the hospital wing. Yeah, that's gross. Without I'll, magic. I'll give it to Snape. That was creative. <laughs> 
That was, he's been waiting for that one. He has really been waiting to give someone that one. He thought, he, I can imagine him just like laying up in bed at night. With like a little journal. He's like, wait, write that down, write that down, write that down. Detention idea. Um, so Harry points out um, that Snape has never been like this with another defense against the dark arts teacher, like blatantly going against his lesson plans, like being like super aggressive with Lupin. So why does he hate Lupin so much? Who knows? And they just move on. Biggest mystery. Yeah. Not the biggest, but, like, it's it's a big... A mystery for you. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now we're at the Quidditch game. The game starts, and they're playing in terrible conditions. Absolutely awful. Lightning, wind, thunder... Like, honestly, they're in the air. They could get struck by lightning. So I don't know why they were like, oh, yeah, let's just keep playing. Hogwarts, safest place on Earth. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Harry cannot see or hear anything. So Wood calls a timeout and tells that him that they're actually 50 points up because Harry has no clue. Yeah. He has no clue what's going on. Um, Hermione comes down to the rescue and uses the impervious spell on his glasses so that they repel water. I love her. That was the best idea. The best idea anyone's had all book. <laughs> okay, three points about that. Number one, why did they not do this earlier? They didn't think about it. Number two... Why don't they do that on everything? Their brooms, their robes, their glasses, like, the balls. Like, ev- make everything waterproof. Like, why would you not just use that on everything? And then three, Harry is wearing his glasses. He's not wearing, like, go- like in the movie he's wearing goggles, which makes sense. Uh-huh. But in this, he's wearing his normal glasses. So even if his glasses are waterproof, would the rain not still fall, like, in between and still get in his eyes and shit? Like, that's a very small space, though, and you're, if you're thinking about how fast they're moving, because of his forward velocity, it's going to hit flat, most likely. I mean, to I guess. To fit in that small space I still think very, the like, movie unlikely. did it right. They should all need to be wearing glasses. And also, they also mentioned, like, oh, it's also so cold. Cast a warming charm. I need things to be so fucking for real right now. These wizards are so useless. Use the impervious charm on everything. Do it at the start, and then cast the warm. Like, come on, guys. Please. Let's use our brain cells. You cannot tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know what the rules are for what spells they can and can't use. Well, obviously impervious is okay. Allegedly. That's true, they be cheating. They do be cheating, <laughs> I don't know. That could be cheating, we don't know. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, anyways, back to the game. In a flash of lightning, he sees a big black dog in the stands. The Grim. Again. <laughs> and then when he looks again, it isn't there. At this point, he should be getting nervous. Yes. Um, suddenly, everything gets quiet and cold, and then he looks down, and there are just hundreds of Dementors swarming. So he starts hearing the screaming again, his mother's murder. He hears the laughter, which he's, you know, obviously All while he's by. trying to catch the snitch, because he saw Cedric going for it. So mm-hmm. it's like, there's a lot going on right now for him. Yep. And he faints and falls off the broom 50 feet and lands on the ground, which, wow. The fact that he wasn't really messed up. Well, yeah, we do find out later that Dumbledore, like, slowed him down. Mm-hmm. But also, why would in a... There were so many people at this game, and so many adult wizards, including Dumbledore himself. Why would they not cast an Expecto Patronum the moment they saw the Dementors making their way towards the pitch? Someone has to have noticed a bajillion of these cloaked creatures, and then it getting cold. Like, guys, again, it was probably, be fucking It probably real. happened really fast, in all honesty. I don't think that anyone... They are probably watching the game. The conditions are bad as it is. He says he can't see anything playing, so the chance of them all noticing in the dark is pretty slim, I think. I guess. I still Um, think at least one person would have noticed. Well, I think they eventually (laughs) did. 
But it was too late by then. That's the whole point. I'm way too critical over a children's book. Yes, you are. I start to believe that you don't actually like Harry Potter because you tear it apart. No, I do. I love Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling's just stupid and a bad writer. Uh, when he wakes up in the hospital wing, the team, minus Wood, who was probably crying in the shower. Literally, they say he's trying to drown himself, which yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. He's so dramatic. Um, they're there with Ron and Hermione. They tell him that Diggory got the snitch and Hufflepuff won. I also think it's really important to note that when Diggory found out that Harry had fallen, he wanted to take it back. He wanted a rematch. I think that's really noble of him and like yeah. shows his character. It's very sweet. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, where's my broom? And they're like, well, it blew into the Whomping Willow and was destroyed, and they just have a bag of the shards. Yeah. Got the shit beat out of it. <laughs> All around, terrible game for Harry. He lost his first ever match, because the other one's technically the one he was in a coma for, so he didn't really lose that one. And then his only broom was destroyed. It's like prized possession. And then Hermione dumps it all over his bed. Like, I was like, damn, put salt in the wound. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he won't let um, Madame Pomfrey throw it away. He's like, I need some more. It's my best friend. Yeah. However, they do explain that even though they lost, they could still win if, like, the math starts mathing. Like, there's a lot of, like, technicalities, but, like, technically. Yeah, they have to beat Slytherin and they have to beat Ravenclaw. And then Ravenclaw has, has to, to blow out Hufflepuff because Hufflepuff won't beat Slytherin. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at least there's hope. Because, of course, there is. They're Gryffindors. Mm-hmm. And then chapter 10, The Marauder's Map. Uh, Harry has to stay in the hospital wing over the weekend, and he decides that he's not going to tell anyone about his various Grimm sightings, because of course. (laughs) And he's also very curious as to why he's the only one that gets affected the way he does by the Dementors, but he's also figured out that it's his mom screaming at at her death when the Dementors come. He's figured out that that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Malfoy eventually is all healed now, and he's in class. And he's, like, being a little shit, and Ron throws a crocodile heart at him <laughs> and hits him right in the face. Great aim on his part. But then he gets deducted 50 points, which is great. Like, the point system at Hogwarts needs to be regulated because he got 50 points taken out for throwing something at Malfoy, but he got 50 points in the first book for defeating the giant chess set. Like, how are those comparable in the slightest? Like, there needs to be some sort of regulation for how many points you can take away, because Snape is obviously abusing this power. Yes. It, well, that's correct. Snape is abusing his power. Yes. Like, this is ridiculous. There needs to be some sort of regulation that, like, he's, like, 50 points, and then the little thing pops up that's like, no, 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 the max is 10. <laughs> like, it's an error message. It's like, are you sure that you want to do this? Like, self-override? He's like, yes! <laughs> Um, so back in Defense Against the Dark Arts, Lupin is back and he cancels the homework that Snape assigned because he's like, what the fuck? He shouldn't have done that. And Hermione's like, I already did it, which is so funny. Um, and after class, he calls Harry to stay back. Um, and they talk about the Dementors at the Quidditch game. And he explains to Harry that, you know, he doesn't need to worry about the way they affect him. It doesn't mean he's weak. Um, it just means that he has a lot of past trauma and that Dementors really, like, feed on that. Mm -hmm. Um... And again, I made a comment here about the Dementors and the depression analogy because I feel like it very much shows through, especially when he says that even muggles can feel them even though they can't see them, which is like, wow, like a really good line for that. And then a note I made that just made me sad was that Lupin like goes to touch Harry when Harry explains that like, I figured it out, it's my mom screaming when she's dying. But then he like thinks better about it, which is so sad because Mm -hmm. when you think about it, the way that Harry's life should have gone, he should have been Uncle Mooney. 
He should have been. But instead, he's just Professor Lupin. And he cannot just hug Harry whenever he wants. And that, I literally teared up. I was like, that's so sad. And he looks like his old best friend. Yes, that's His dead best friend. With Lily's eyes, literally. like. So he looks like a mixture of his two dead best friends. So, yeah. And he's also living with the knowledge that his other best friend and the love of his life, because Wolfstar writes, betrayed them. Because mm-hmm. that's what he's thinking at this point. Like, ah, uh, Lupin, he deserves so much better. I love Remus with my entire heart. I would give my life for him. But after this, he promises Harry that he's going to teach him how to protect himself from Dementors, but starting next term. Um, Gryffindor uh, ends, we find out that they're still in the running because Ravenclaw absolutely flattened Hufflepuff As in their game. Should. Good for you, Queen. Um... And Ron and Hermione tell Harry that they're going to be staying for Christmas, and they're like, oh, it's just easier, but Harry knows that they're doing it for him, which is so sweet. They truly are his best friends. I love mm-hmm. the Golden Trio so much. Um, I love Christmas a lot. I So the chances of me staying behind, really slim. Very, well, staying behind at Hogwarts? Yeah. I go home for Christmas with my family. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I got confused for a second. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, there's another Hogsmeade Christmas before this, though, and Ron and Hermione go, and Harry's, of course, sad again, and as he's going back up to the Gryffindor common room, he gets stopped by Fred and George, and they're like, we have a gift for you, and they give him a blank parchment, and Harry's like, alright, this is funny, now what? And they explain to him that it's actually the Marauder's Map, which is a map that shows every secret passage and the, like, physical, like, in-time locations of everyone in the castle. So they show him how to open it, which is tapping it with your wand and saying, I saw Mr. I'm up to no good, and how to close it, mischief managed, just to make sure that no one can see it. They explain that they nicked it from Filch and that there's actually seven secret passageways. Filch knows of four, two of them are blocked, and then the last leads right into the Honeyduke cellar. Um, and they're like, you know what, this has served us so well, but it's yours now. And Harry's like, all right. And he goes to use it, um, and he sees his little self, like, telling him how to open the passageway, which is really interesting because it's not how they did it in the movies, it's Mm -hmm. just their name and a footprint, but in this it's, like, literally a miniature Harry. So I honestly kind of forgot about this. Like, in my head, I just always seen it the way the movie portrayed it, so I actually kind of like this. It's cute that there's, like, little bridges of that. I liked how when he didn't, when he, like, tapped it too and it didn't work, a little speech bubble popped up as his mini-self and told him what to say. Yeah. So cute. It was adorable. So he does, yeah, he listens to his mini-self, he goes in, and then it's like a very long walk, but eventually he does get into Honeydukes, and he sees all this candy, and he explains about a bunch of them, but the one that, like, caught my attention the most was, like, self-flossing mints. That sounds amazing. I want a hundred of them. I want them. Not only does your breath smell good, but it just flosses your teeth. You don't gotta worry about if there's anything in your teeth. Not my- my dentist would love this. Like, and then I think Hermione also makes a comment that, like, my parents would love this because her parents are dentists. Like, this is the best invented candy mm-hmm. ever. Like, mm-hmm. I want this to be a thing so bad. He finds Ron and Hermione in the shop, and they're like, oh my god, Harry, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, you know, secret passageway. And they're like, oh my god, what if that's how Sirius Black came in? And they notice that there's, like, a bunch of signs about Sirius and stuff. And they kind of freak out a little bit, but they're like, you know what, Harry's here, let's just enjoy it. So they go to the brew, three broomsticks and they get hot butterbeer, which I've had and it absolutely slaps. It's my favorite form of butterbeer, actually. Absolutely delicious. And while they're talking, four teachers come in um, and then Hermione, like, very smartly moves a Christmas tree to hide them and they push Harry under the table. And then they sit down and they begin to have the most convenient entire history of Sirius Black lesson ever. Yes. In the middle of the three broomsticks. And it's like... 
Flitwick, McGonagall, Madame Rosmerta, Hagrid, and Cornelius Fudge. Like, that's also the weirdest group of people. Mm -hmm. Like, this entire scene is just the most convenient exposition, but I love it because we learned so much information. Mm -hmm. Especially because Fudge is the one who sent Hagrid to Azkaban last year, so Hagrid is all of a sudden just okay with him. They're besties now, they're grabbing a beer. But we do find out a lot of information. Um, We find out that Sirius was James Potter's best friend. They were compared to the Fred and George of their time. We find out that he was the best man at his wedding. And we find out that he's Harry's godfather, which was literally such a twist. The first time I read this, I was eight, so I don't actually remember, but I'm for certain that my jaw dropped. I'm sure that I was flabbergasted. (laughs) Like, that is such a good twist. Um, we also find out that he was their secret keeper, which is basically for the Fidelius charm, which protects someone from being found, even if they're in the same room as someone. Um, and so he was their secret keeper to hide them from Voldemort, but he betrayed them, told Voldemort, and then led to their death. Um, and then Peter Pettigrew, who was another one of their friends, um, at Hogwarts, who was constantly following around them to try to stop him, but Black did that curse that blew him and 12 muggles up before he was caught. Um, and all that was left of Peter was a little finger. And Hagrid is all upset because he's like, I saw him at the Potters, like, right afterwards, and I didn't know I comforted him, like, what the hell? Um, and then they also make, like, a comment that's like, Harry doesn't know, of course. It would, it would be a shame if he was somehow listening right now and found out. (laughs) Meanwhile, Harry's squatting under this table. His whole world is just shattered. I know. His whole notion of who he is is just... Boom. Yeah, it really, it was absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fudge also mentions that Sirius was a really weird inmate because he wasn't really freaked out or losing his mind in Azkaban, which is how people normally are, which mm-hmm. just kind of gives him this even bigger, like, he's insane look, you know? Um, and then all they leave, and Ron and Hermione, like, peek under the table at Harry, and they're like, bro, holy shit. <laughs> and that is the end of the chapter. Yep. Uh, chapter 11, Harry returned to the dorm, obviously kind of in shock and just kind of walking around in a trance. Um, very angsty. <laughs> yeah, he pulls out the photo album that Haggard gave him and, of course, finds a picture from his parents' wedding day that Black is in, but he knows that, like, if he hadn't known that that was Black, he would never have recognized him. Yeah. Um, make, he, sure he, make sure he calls him handsome. Yeah. <laughs> he makes a point to mention that Sirius is handsome. <laughs> Yes, and he realizes that this is what Malfoy was hinting at before when he said he would want revenge, so now he knows that Malfoy knows more than he's letting on. Yeah. Uh, Ron tells Harry that all Peter's mom, like Pettigrew's mom, got back was a finger because that's all that was left of him after Black's attack, which is like an odd detail, but we'll keep that mm, for sure. t- tucked away in the back pocket. Um, Harry wants to confront Hagrid for not telling him about serious so they all go to his hut which i mean rightfully so like he's got a really close relationship with haggard like i would be mad too yeah haggard's the one who introduced him to this world so i would mm-hmm. yeah i understand the sense of betrayal yeah but when they get there haggard is crying because he received a letter that there would be an official hearing for buck peak to determine his fate following the quote-unquote attack on malfoy which is so dumb how are you gonna put an animal on trial it can't defend itself <laughs> well he's defending it that's the whole point well even then I he's think assembling dumb to put an animal on trial yeah, but the trio decides to do some research and help Hagrid build a defense for Buckbeak, um, which is really sweet. It so is really sweet. Harry doesn't end up confronting him because he's like, this is not the right time. Yeah, which is, it sucks though because they go to the library to like, let's see what animals have won their cases, and then they quickly find out that quite literally like no animal has ever won their case. Right. And now we're at Christmas. 
Christmas. Christmas. Harry gets a sweater again and some baked goods from Mrs. Weasley, which is so sweet. Um, someone sent Harry a fireball, but there's no card or anything. Not so that. who would send Harry a super expensive broom like this? Yeah, that's crazy. Now we're all wondering. And they go down to Christmas dinner. Um, when Dumbledore and Snape pop open the little wizard cracker, um, a large hat with a vulture comes out, which I'm convinced that Albus did on purpose to fuck with fuck Snape. Fuck with him because of the bogger. I yeah. think it's so funny. Yeah, he would. <laughs> yeah, and McGonagall and Sybil bicker for a while because, you know, Minerva's definitely call- like calling some bullshit here. Literally... She shits on her the entire time. Like, oh, I can't sit, blah, blah, someone will die. We'll risk it. It's like, oh, you know, where's Lupin? Oh, he's sick. But you knew that already, right? Like, she just shits on her consistently, and it's so funny. It is. I love it. Um, After they eat, Harry and Ron go back up to the common room to admire this fireball. They're just just looking at it. They're just looking at it. They're not doing anything. And then Hermione comes in. With McGonagall in tow, which already you know, they're going to be pissed. And um, McGonagall tells them that she needs to take the broom to check for jinxes. Harry and Ron are obviously, like, pissed at Hermione for going to McGonagall. And yeah, they're like, they're like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> Seriously, Hermione, we can't have anything. But then Hermione explains that she thinks, and McGonagall agrees, that the broom was probably sent by Sirius Black, and that's why they're checking. Interesting. Interesting. And that... Is where part one ends. Really quick though, I do have something that I wanted to mention because I saw this online and I want to know your opinion. Um, when Sybil walks in mm-hmm. um, and there's like 12 people at the table and she's like, oh no, I can't sit. When 13 dine, the first to rise is the first to die, right? Correct. So Ron had scabbers in his pocket, which means technically there were already 13 people at the table, and Dumbledore was the first to rise when Sybil arrived, and he's also the first one to die out of everyone at that table. So I saw this online, and I went back, and I could not find any specific line that says that scabbers was in Ron's pocket. Like, it, I, know, I didn't see anything like specifically said that. But, again, Harry does mention that he's never seen Scabbers outside of Ron's pocket. So, if we're going to take that mm-hmm. line as meaning that Scabbers was in his pocket and there was 13, duh, then I think that's a cool detail. The only problem is that in this book, Scabbers does not spend a lot of time in Ron's pocket. He spends a lot of time hiding in Ron's bed because he's afraid of Crookshanks. Well, Harry does say that, like, he has, like, he's, he's like, I've, like, I've, I've, this is, like, the first time I've seen Scabbers out of Ron's pocket. Like, he says that. Like, and there are multiple mentions of, like, Crookshanks was staring at, like, the nub in Ron's shirt where Scabbers was sitting. So I'm sure he's probably in his bed when they're, like, out, but when they're, like, in the common room and stuff, like, Harry does mention, like, he's in his pocket. But they're not in the common room. Remember? Well, right, at, at this point, they're at dinner, but and that's, I'm just saying, like, if you were to take that line that Harry says about Scabbers always being in Ron's pocket, then this makes sense, and I think it's a really cool detail. But because it never specifically states, Ron put Scabbers in his pocket and they went downstairs, then you could just ignore this, but I just thought it was a really cool detail mm-hmm. if you do take that as meaning that Scabbers was in his pocket. Yeah, if she Because it does line up. Yeah, if, if, the, if she had pointed out that Scabbers was in the pocket and then had specifically made the line about the 13 and stuff, then I would say, yeah, it's a cool detail, but I think that this is just people digging. I mean, yeah. Into a coincidence, because she definitely did not mean for that to be the way that it was. Yeah, I guess. I don't... I usually don't like to give J.K. Rowling too much credit, because 
she doesn't deserve it. But I did like this. I yeah. just wanted to mention it. And I did think this was, if it's true, like, I was like, that's really cool. And then I also had some info on the night bus. Fun. Um, the night bus is a purple triple-decker bus that is used for magical transport of stranded witches and wizards. Um, the enchantments on it are unknown, but likely includes an imperturbable, imperturbable charm? Sure. <laughs> imperturbable? Imperturbable. Sure. I'll go with it. Yeah. Um, the history of the night bus is that the Ministry of Magic commissioned the night bus in an effort to provide a means of transportation for the underage and infirm. Yeah. And in 1993, it cost Harry 11 sickles to travel from Little Winging to London. And they can hail the bus by sticking their wand hand out in the air. So, yeah. The night bus is also described as being violently purple in the books, which I think is probably the funniest adjective that they could have used. Violently like, purple? Like, violently purple. <laughs> yeah. You leave it to the wizards to choose violently purple. They're like, and eh, the Michaels won't see it anyway, so we might as well make it a fun Honestly. color. Honestly. <laughs> So yeah, that is all. So let's dive right into the jokes. I don't know if you noticed, but the joke poll for last week was a dead tie. Was it really? 50-50, which has never happened before. Yeah, I actually didn't notice that. So there's no winner to go first, but seeing as you were the last winner, I figured you would go first. Um, okay. You're the last standing winner, so. Okay. All right. What do you call a very content magical beast? What? A happy griff. <laughs> Aw, I like that one. Thank you. I thought it was cute. Um, why is it terrible to get a cold in the wizarding world? I don't know. It makes your nose full of boggarts. <laughs> like boggarts. Alright. I like that we both picked jokes that like had to do with the stuff that happened in yeah. this part. I saw that one I saw that the punchline was boggarts and I was like, oh that one. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All right, that is all for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Next episode, we will be discussing part two of The Prisoner of Azkaban, so make sure you tune in for that. Make sure you also follow us online. Our Twitter is at SlitherClawRev, and our Instagram is at SlitherClawReview. And as always, if you guys want to help us out, try to leave a rating, comment, or review, and tell your friends if you enjoy this podcast. It all helps us a lot more than you think, and we appreciate it so much. Until Until next time. time!